Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, April 30th. Today we are reading from the big book. We're on page six, and we're at the last paragraph on that page, starting with the mind and body. Today's readers are Kim, Devorah, and Paula. The reference number for Monday, April 29th, is 4374. That's 4374. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marietta to read the 12 steps, please. Hi, it's Marietta, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admit we were powerless over food and our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Marietta. Thank you, Marietta. I will now ask Ann S. to read the 12 traditions, please. Hi. Good morning. Uh, this is Ann, a compulsive overeater, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group shall be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, LA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always make always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Uh, Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Anne. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the direction for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page six and we're in the last paragraph or uh, yeah, in the last paragraph on that page. And I will ask Kim to begin reading, please. Kim, can you press star one to unmute your phone, please? I'm sorry, Christy. I, I didn't realize I was muted. Um, can you hear me now, Christy? Yes, I can. Go ahead, okay. Kim. Sorry. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. For mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I chased dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for being a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. 
This combination stood, soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity, and so did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. Uh, good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Oh, boy, Bill is really in the thick of it now. You know, I love this line. Again, I sleep dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for being a weakling. You know, again, I sleep dizzily before an open window. You know, I was either starving myself or I was so lightheaded because there was absolutely nothing in my system and my blood sugar was so low, or I had been binging and binging and binging that my blood sugar was all whacked out with that and I was getting you know, the shakes from it, you know, and standing in front of the medicine cabinet. I mean, I would stand in front of the refrigerator, opening the door and closing the door, opening the pantry, closing the pantry. I mean, I memorized what was in there, but yet I would sit there cursing myself for being weakling, not wanting to go in there, you know, stalking things. I remember in work, you know, they had a pizza party and I wasn't going to eat any. No way I wasn't going to eat any. I wasn't going to eat any. And I kept walking by and finally... When everyone left, I went in there and there was a half-eaten piece of pizza. And I just grabbed it and finished someone else's pizza. You know, and I remember another time when I was in college and I was scared and I was at home at my parents' house and I I was really nervous. I woke up 2 o'clock in the morning and I went downstairs and I started to eat a bowl of cereal and I heard this weird noise and a mouse ran out of the cereal, was in the cereal box and ran across my kitchen floor. And what did I do? I kept eating it. I wasn't going to let that mouse disturb the binge that I was having, even though I was probably eating mouse feces. You know, and, and one of the other things I did, because I didn't want anyone to know what I was doing and I was always hiding it, is I would take muffin mix and I would just put water in it and go up in my childhood bedroom and eat it because I couldn't cook it because then my parents wouldn't know I was eating. And another thing was when I was binging and I was purging is I would eat what I thought was moderate and then I'd eat a bunch of carrots and then I would binge my brains out and then I would throw up until I saw the carrots because then I would know to stop because then the good food would be below that and I could binge out all the quote-unquote bad food. So I was sitting before the medicine cabinet where there was poison. This was poison, absolute insanity. Yet for me, it was my only way. It tells us in the doctor's opinion that we cannot differentiate the truth from the false, that our alcoholic life has been the only normal one. And what I told you right now would absolutely shock those who do not have our disease. And maybe some of you are shocked because you're hearing someone else having done exactly what you have done. And it says here, people feared for my sanity, and so did I. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Kim. Who would like to share on this paragraph? You'll need to press star one to unmute your phone. Hi, good morning. It's Esty. Esty, go ahead, please. Hi, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Division for You. It's so wonderful to be on this line and hear such honesty. And um, I relate to the reading, I relate to the sharing, and um, especially the part of saying, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat, when there's a party going on, and then afterwards just eating someone's leftovers or or eating like what's left over, just like the part that people would throw out. 
and and you know just just listening on the line brings back such painful memories and um helps me relive the misery and the agony of then so I can protect my abstinence today because I know that's poison it's poison and it's I'm grateful that today when I see food that tempts me my first thought is poison poison and when I'm tempted to go over and smell something like when I'm at a place where there's a lot of bakery goods or other stuff that would tempt me and I'm tempted to smell it I tell myself poison poison would I smell poison would I smell poison like why why do I want to go back there of Back to the place where I'm thinking, mm, this is good. Mm, I wish I could have. No, I'm not gonna have. Maybe I should. No, no, no. I'm not gonna have. Why, why should I even go there? This is poison for me. So I'm really grateful for the reminder that I'm hearing today on this meeting. Thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Esty. Who else would like to share in this paragraph? This is Paula Mashia. Sure, Paula. Go ahead. Hmm. I'd like to begin with that um, first line, and I'd like to really stay there, but that isn't where it goes. So the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. And then it goes on. Her mind endured this agony for two more years. I don't know the length of time, and I don't know the length, the depth of the agony, but there is no other description. He describes his. You can also describe yours, as was described. But this part, then came the night when the physical and mental torture. See, it's not, this is where the combination comes. It wasn't just one, oh, Jesus, pain him. But it was both. The physical and mental torture was so hellish. I feared I would burst through my window sash. At, wait, end. Oh, window sash in all he ends. Okay. But now listen to this. Mind and body still wanted to live. And here it was fighting for its very life because what does he do? Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor lest I suddenly leap. He didn't want to die, yet he did want to die. How does that come together? Hmm, that's what the disease does. But then it turns around and we see another couple of lines. This combination, so they gave him something. Oh, Lord knows the combinations of things that I've eaten sometimes absolutely amazes me. Did you really? Yeah, I did. Now, here he was trying to, he combined, look at for what, this combination of a drink and a sedative. Yeah. Did he not think? No, there's no thinking here. That part is gone. Soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for, feared for my sanity. People? Did he not? So did I. So see, here again. He agreed. I could not eat. I could eat little or nothing when drinking. And I was 40 pounds underweight. I was just thinking, mine was not the same story, but the results were the same. There was a combination that came into effect. And that beautiful line that we started with, the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms, seems hard that this is what's going on after, but this is clearly what is being read. I just wanted to end with, I don't know where this disease takes anyone, but I will take you, tell you it does take you for a ride. You don't want to go on. You don't want to go on in this ride. And you think you have a choice to name the stop? No. No. 
Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Wow. Doesn't this paragraph sound like hell? Living hell. Um, and, and, you know, a few paragraphs back, we were hearing about, um, you know, how liquor was, life was exhilarating, and it was fun, and... He was with he was on top of the world. He had arrived and but this is a progressive disease and he kept turning to alcohol for a solution for everything that would happen. And here it's a whole different story here. You know, the disease is running the show here. It's not Bill anymore. Bill has nothing to do with it. He's along for the ride, like someone else mentioned. He's on that roller coaster, and he's on the ride, and who knows where it's going to end up. And it looks like he's mighty close to death here. He's not eating. He's 40 pounds underweight. And nothing has nothing is working, you know? His willpower isn't working. His determination's not working. His self-knowledge is not doing anything for him, you know? And he's tried all kinds of things. He's tried uh, escaping, uh, geographical cures, you know, flights from city to country and back. They tried to do that. That didn't work. But, you know, it doesn't work because wherever we go, we take ourselves with us. And so that's not the answer. And, you know, uh, a few paragraphs back, we were hearing him, you know, putting down and really um, those people who committed suicide, you know, uh, when the big market, when the market dropped and people jumping out of windows. And he was, oh, they were, you know, no way ever would I do anything like that. But look what happened to him here. This hell of a disease has got him by the throat. He's having physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window. Well, there's no fun in this, and it's getting worse. And he's not done yet. This is not the uh, end of his bottom. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Monica. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Alice. I'd like to share. Sure, Alice Torona. Alice, and then Leah, and then Sharona. Go ahead, Alice. Alice, Alice a compulsive overeater from Florida. And um, I am just sitting here kind of trembling with my identification with Bill here. I never have identified with his story, probably because I never studied it. And I just, you know, I had that, I had that evening that he had, and um, and it was, the insanity where he says people fear for my sanity so did I well I feared mainly for my sanity because my my disease was pretty um pretty secretive uh, with the bulimic aspect of it but I remember that night and this was um it was about 16 years ago and and all three of my forms of the disease were active my compulsive overeating my bulimia and my anorexia and it was absolutely making me insane. And I remember feeling like the only thing I could do was referee these three. The compulsive overeater wanted to eat, wanted to eat. The anorexic was like, no, nothing can go in, nothing can go in. And then I had this bulimic that was like the mediator that was saying, you know, hold on, you know, 
compulsive eating, you'll get yours, you'll get yours, and telling the anorexic, it's okay, we'll get it all out, we'll get it all out. I was just insane. I was freaking insane. And I thought, this is what my life is going to be. I have to, I have to referee these three freaking adolescents, you know, that compulsive overview, the bulimic, the anorexic. I just, I was going insane. I, I thought my mind was being taken over. Um, and, and yet, um, it saved my, actually that insanity saved my life that night too, because I, so I was, um, trying to end my life that night and the compulsive overeater was like no because then I can't eat anymore and the anorexic was thinking you know yeah do it do it because then I won't be able to eat anymore and just the insanity of it the insanity was just driving me nuts driving me nuts and um you know I wanted I wanted out and I saw no way out and um the only way I thought I could survive was to just take um a moderate amount of sleeping pills so that I could stay asleep and not have to deal with those three um, creatures. I mean, they, I was losing my sanity. And um, so I just, I'm just, you know, I just, I have, I'm just really scared, but I have a lot of hope too because I see that God Bill was there, you know, and, and everyone's sharing. It's like, you know, I've done all those things and, and I just, uh, you know, I want freedom from it. It is a, the mental obsession is just, I was so afraid that people would lock me up if they really knew what I was saying and even, in, or what I was thinking. And, um, and that's a horrible place to be, just that paranoia. You know, the, the garbage men would, would find out that there were plastic bags of vomit in the garbage and they would turn me in. I was starting to get just this paranoia was setting in. So this disease, the insanity end of it, the mental obsession, it was so out of control um just i am I'm completely powerless over that aspect of it and um just wanted to share that i identified there and um i passed thank you alice leah go ahead thank you christy good morning everybody my name is leah i'm a recovered compulsive overeater <laughs> things are not looking good for bill although i identify in very well here it says the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mind endured this agony two more years. So as bad as this seems, um, you know, he's going to live in this state of hell for two more years because, you know, that's what we do. We adapt to it. <laughs> we adapt to the torture. We adapt to the turmoil. Uh, the abnormal has become the norm for him. You know, that pain of living becomes the norm. People often think that death is the greatest loss in life, but perhaps the greatest loss in life is dying inside while you're still alive. And yet, you know, I was in that place where I felt like I was dying for years. Uh, it goes, sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. I mean, I remember, you know, waking up with that panic, you know, the big book talks about the, the four horsemen, the terror, the bewilderment, the despair, and the frustration. You know, you wake up and you're in a sweat because your day, you know what the day is going to be like. I mean, it might be a Monday or a Thursday. It might be the middle of the winter, the middle of the summer, but it's going to be the same where the beast continues to whisper in your ear and you continue to bow to its demands. Different day, different time of year, doesn't matter. The beast is running the show. You know, the disease is running the show. I serve that master. But that became the norm. 
And look at Bill. You know, he's got no sense of family. Yes, he's married, but where's the marriage? I mean, look, look what's going on here. Where's the marriage? It's in the pits. He's got no sense of family. He has no sense of community. He's got no ethics. He's got no morals. He's stealing some coins from his wife's purse. By the way, she's the one going out to work every day because he can't hold a job, obviously, so that he can feed his addiction. I mean, this is what it comes to. He feels like he's going crazy. He's in a sense of terror and panic. He's overwhelmed with his feelings and the sense of impending doom. He's got these uh, nightmares and this, you know, feeling of uh, wanting to commit suicide. I mean, at the top of the page, not too long ago, he was laughing at the gin mills. But look what's happening now. Now he's questioning his sanity. Now he's contemplating suicide. This is the progression of the disease. And he's trying whatever he can to pull out of his little toolkit. You know, there were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. You know what? You can run, but you cannot hide from this disease. You can run from one state to another state, from one country to another country, from one job to another job, from one hubby to another hubby. You can run, but the disease is on your heels. The disease is on Bill's heels here. The beast is faster than Bill. And that's true for each and every one of us. A sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. The obsession of the mind will always win out. And it's so obvious here that Bill's madness is so severe. The soul is, his soul is just getting sucked out of him. He is shattered, but he hasn't given up yet. He has not thrown in the towel yet. And what's Bill's problem? And Bill has to come to realize that, and that's true for each and every one of us on this line. We've got to be clear what the problem is, lack of power. This soul sickness is manifesting itself in his mind and in his body. He has a gangrene of the spirit, and the only way to be relieved is to throw in the towel and to realize, do I suffer from the obsession of the mind? Do I suffer from an allergy of the body? And having established that problem, what's going to be the solution? But Bill's not in there yet. Bill's still fighting the beast. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Sharona, go ahead. Hi, this is Sharona, compostable eater. I just wanted to say that Bill is drinking and it's not enough. Alcohol is losing his effect on him. And... I feel that every compulsive overeater gets to a state that the uh, the food has little and little and little and effect on him until the uh, until you get to the gutters and you just can't function and even when eating and binging all the all through all day long you cannot function and I'm very grateful for this program that God is bringing me back to sanity and re-entering me me to to normal life. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharona. And Christine, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I want to jump in here, too. Um, 
you know, what's amazing about this paragraph, if you look at that first sentence, the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for, for mine endured this agony two more years. You know, what is this agony that Bill is referring to? He's referring to the paragraph before. And, you know, if you read that paragraph before, I mean, it's astounding to me. You know, he's talking about remorse and horror and hope, hopelessness. He's talking about that terrible sense of impending calamity. He's talking about his writhing nerves. I mean, he is talking about, you know, a, a horrible existence, a horrible existence. I mean, there aren't enough adjectives to describe how horrible his existence was. And what's amazing to me is that, you know, I mean, you'd think after reading the paragraph before, the one that we didn't read, but you'd think after, you know, after experiencing that, he would stop. And what he's telling us here is that he endured that agony for two more years. And it just reminds me of my own story. You know, I went on my first diet when I was 12, and I got abstinent when I was 41. And there was a whole lot that happened between the ages of 12 and 41. You know, I was, I was rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, um, it didn't start out that way. I mean, it certainly didn't start out that way. I knew I had some kind of problem. You know, I was 5'4", I weighed 124 pounds, and I thought I was really fat. And, you know, at the age of, you know, the first time I walked into OA, I was 35 years old. I was almost 6'1", and I weighed 340 pounds. I mean, you know, it takes a lot to get to that point. It takes a lot to get to that point. It took me a lot to get to that point. And, you know, it took a whole lot of agony in the rooms of OA. For me, I just, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. I still thought I could solve my own problem. And, and my problem was that I didn't know what my problem was. I did not know what my problem was. I, I knew I was fat, and that was kind of where it ended. And I knew I was kind of crazy about food. I knew I was a little bit, you know, I had a little bit different take on food than most people than most people um, did. And so, you know, finally at the age of 41, I, I was crazy and I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take it just like Bill. You know, he's trying all these different things. You know, he's looking at the medicine cabinet. Maybe there's a solution there. He's going from city. Uh, maybe there's a solution if he moves to the city. Maybe there's a solution if he moves to the country. Or maybe he can go stay in the country for a few weeks. I mean, you know, and he was terrified that he was going to burst through his window. It's, I mean, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Like his mind was just going to make him burst through the window. He, was, he didn't trust himself. He did not trust himself at all. And I can identify with that. I did not trust myself either. I finally, finally, finally got to the point where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I had, you know, I had tried absolutely everything I could throw at what I thought was my problem. And it wasn't until I came to OA and was presented with the problem outlined in the doctor's opinion that, you know, my mind and body were, you know, deeply impacted by my addiction. And it was my insanity. It was my insanity. Not the fact that I weighed 300 pounds that got me into the rooms. It was how crazy I was in my mind. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand my thoughts anymore. I couldn't stand the way I was trying to solve my problem. I mean, every day it was something different. Several times a day it was something different. 
And um, I couldn't take it anymore. I could not take it anymore. I was in absolute agony, exactly like Bill was. And um, I just, I gave up. And you know what? That was exactly what I needed to do, is give up. I needed to give up. And uh, that saved my life. That absolutely saved my life. And I'm grateful that I've been abstinent without exception through all life has to offer since September 9th of 2001, without exception. And not only that, but the principles outlined in the big book have allowed me to grow away from the food. I don't have to fight food anymore or that crazy brain I have about food anymore. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? This is Judy B. from Massachusetts. Judy, go ahead. Oh, this paragraph really... um describes the agony and the devastation that uh, people go through in disease, and and Bill certainly went through that. Um, But I'd like to concentrate on that very first sentence, the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. And this is true. We know that God created us this way. But the truth is we do not know how much our, our own body and our own mind can take. There is a limit. You know, we, we, we just don't know how much, how much we can endure. I mean, Bill was a very strong and resilient human being. He was able to take, uh, you know, a great deal of abuse. And many of us have, have endured uh, a great deal of abuse. But the thing is, we don't know when the limit can be reached. And I just want to say that for today, if, if we are aware that we're in this mess and that we are, we are going through this, this devastation, we do have a choice. I, I remember thinking over and over, there is no choice. I just can't stop eating. There is no choice. We do have a choice. Page 25 shows us that we are always making choices. And if we continue eating, you know, we will, we will stay right where we are. And it says, we had but two alternatives. One was to go to the bitter end, and that's what, you know, we keep doing when we keep eating, to go to the bitter end and blot out the consciousness of our intolerable situation. And that's what so many of us chose to do day after day after day. And yet... There is another choice. We can accept spiritual help. And there are people here on this line who are willing to help us and to talk us through this and to, and to teach us about the, um, the wonderful solution that's offered in this big book. And I just, I just pray that, that uh, many of us listening today will, will really dwell on this and understand this and know that even though this this disease that we're in seems hopeless. It is not. It's a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, but it is not hopeless. There is a solution, and I am so grateful, so grateful to know that, and I just want to share it with with everybody that I can. I thank you so much for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Judy. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Deborah, will you read that for us, please, on page 7? Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? I sure can. Go ahead. 
Great. Thank you. Hi, this is Devola from New Jersey, a grateful compulsive overeater. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called Belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. And um, so many things in this little paragraph that I could relate to. Um, you know, I lived at home as a child and a teenager. And, you know, my family, my parents, were beyond, they, they wanted to do anything that they can help me, you know, anything to arrest this, this problem that I had with food. You know, at a young age, my father was offering me a uh, dollar a pound every time I lost the weight. You know, he would he would pull out his pocket and give me dollar bills. Um, my mother brought me to, you know, weight loss places. You know, every week we went in and got weighed in for a long time. This is as young as, you know, seventh grade, you know. That was our time together. Um, getting picked up at school, going to an, a clinic, meeting with a dietitian. You know, endless, endless things my family was trying to do for me. And this is what Bill is having with his family. You know, that they're, they're knocking their heads against the wall. What could we do about Bill? They see that there's an issue here. And, you know, this is going to be the answer for Bill. The hydrotherapy and the mild exercise, you know, it helps a little bit. You know, I also, all these things, you know, helped somewhat. Um, but it was never a, a solution. Um, and I, too, met. You know, I had met a lot of kind doctors on the way. So many doctors who said to me, you know, just don't have so much. Have a little bit. Have a half. Don't eat the whole thing. You know, um, you know, eat three meals a day and, and that's it. Um, eat healthy food. Maybe you should just go, you know, all these solutions that they were trying to give me. And people, even my friend, people, people that I met, strangers. A woman in my community said to me, you know, aren't you afraid? Don't you think that you might collapse? Like, everybody was giving me their advice with kind, loving words, and nothing, nothing was going to help me. Um, and um, so I, <laughs> this, you know, this little paragraph here, you know, he's, people are, you know, now his family's moving in and they're trying to help him. And, you know, he's so, somewhat hopeful because the doctor told him that uh, he's been, you know, he's sick, but bodily and mentally, and, um, and he's hoping maybe this, you know, will be a solution for him. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This Monica. is Lois, Melanie. May I share? Uh, Lois and Monica, and was there a Melanie? Uh, what it, uh, why don't you go ahead, Lois? Mark. I can wait. <laughs> That's okay. Lois, go ahead. Lois, Monica, and Mark. We'll go in that order. Go ahead, Lois. Thanks. This is Lois, a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. And um, I wanted to comment on, on everything, of course. I have been, although I was foolish and selfish, he had been seriously ill, bodily and mentally. And um, I, I have, I am witnessing that right now. This, these, this moment in my, in my uh, family, my, my, my oldest daughter uh, 
is is bodily and mentally ill, seriously ill. You know, she uh, several weeks, several years ago, she's always been fighting this disease and and does not, you know, does not identify. Still, still trying to uh, take care of it herself. And about two or three years ago, she was 300 pounds and she she was seriously ill with diabetes and she opted to have the um, the um, bypass the uh, sorry that bypassed it. So she had this serious operation, which turned out to cause her some problems um, for the rest of her life and continues to cause that. But since then, you know, because she has not gone into any program or discovered, you know, what her problem is and what the solution is, she is now, three years later, over 300 pounds, seriously ill. She suffers from a a very um, terrible disease of asthma. She has asthma attacks that, that attack her body now as well. And uh, I see this right before my eyes, and um, she uh, does not want to hear anything about it. She knows that she just has this asthma, and she's going to continue taking all of these short-term solutions to this long-term life-threatening problem. And it's, uh, it's very serious, and it's very difficult to watch this, and especially in your own family. I, you know, I am concerned, and all I can do is I tell her every day that uh, when I speak with her, she doesn't want to hear anything about her weight. She denies, you know, she cannot see this. She, her, the, the obsession of the mind is preventing her from seeing, you know, what her problem is. And she's stuck, stuck in that. And I just tell her, you know, daily and when I see her, she knows me. She knows about my, my program and she watches how I live and I relate with her in a different way. But she just continues to continue to deny and she's unable to see that this disease is enveloping her whole life and you know it's as as we speak about bill she's she's right on the same page you know it's a it's a cunning baffling and powerful disease and it usually can end in different kinds of death you know and i'm you know i just pray for her and like i've been told i just continue to recover 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 and, and to be there for her when she needs it. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. Monica, go ahead. Monica, can you press star one to unmute your phone, please? Hi, this is Monica. And thank you, thank you. Um, my brother-in-law is a physician, and his name was Dr. Leonard Strong, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics, and this was Towns Hospital in New York City, and this was in 1933, and this is Bill's first hospitalization, first treatment here for alcoholism. So what happens while he's here? He's uh, given treatment, what they used at that point to, um, he's separated from the alcohol and they use the belladonna treatment, which is a type of sedative treatment to help him with the withdrawal um, effects that he had or by doing that. And hydrotherapy is a water therapy. So, you know, that was um, probably, who knows, swimming or that type of thing. Mild exercise helped. So this all helped him to get 
um, separated from the alcohol, and when he was separated from the alcohol, his mind cleared. And we do the same thing every time, you know, when we put our binge foods down, we get some relief from doing that because it stops the physical cravings and our mind clears and we can think better. But best of all, what happened to him here in this first hospitalization is that he met Dr. Silkworth. I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. And so he's going to hear things here from Dr. Silkworth that he's never heard before. And, um, and with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. Mark, go ahead. Mark, can you press not, or excuse me, star one to unmute your phone, please? Oops, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Go ahead, Mark. I can hear you now. Thank you. Uh, this is an amazing passage in the big book. I love the big book. I use it as sponsor in both of my other programs, and, you know, there's just so much richness here. Uh, I was in the hospital uh, last year and almost died. I came out of the hospital. I weighed 130 pounds. I'm 5'9". You can imagine what that looked like. I ate because I had to put on weight. But the gift that I have from a higher power, I've been in these rooms for many years and struggle with my weight all the time. I've already ridden my bike and walked the dogs this morning. But uh, for me, I, I, I email my food to a sponsor. I have a sponsor that I work the steps with. I meditate morning and night. I'm on my knees. I pray in the morning and at night. I pray with my children. Recovery is my life today. And so... Uh, the food is secondary. It's like working my program to get rid of fear, fear that I'm this cognitive problem that I have because of my surgery is never going to go away, which it probably will. Um, you know, we might lose our house because my partner might not have a job, but oh well, you know, we can live in a in a condo or an apartment. You know, so for today, I'm just where I need to be. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to be absent. I'm grateful to be at this meeting today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? This is Janice. Leia. Janice and then Leah. Janice, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeating you know, overeater. Yes, this this I agree. You know, there is there is really quite a lot of detail in the progression of Bill's story here in what we're hearing. And what we're seeing as he goes ever down, 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 prisoner, prisoner of this disease. And what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing so clearly is in the paragraph before, people feared for my sanity. People feared for my sanity. And then in this paragraph, under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain was cleared. You know, this, this is what happens. This is what happens when you're separated finally from the alcohol, his brain cleared. But guess what? Guess what? Bill had lost his soundness of mind where alcohol was concerned. Bill was acting insanely where alcohol was concerned. Well, guess what? My disease of compulsive overeating had me acting insanely 
around the food. You know, I could not be trusted anymore. My thinking, my thinking led me back again and again and again into this crazy-making place around the food, always either running away from the food or running towards the food. There was no, there was no stopping place with the food. And that's what we're seeing here with Bill, too. Finally, it got so bad, they placed him in the hospital. You know, they feared for his sanity. They weren't sure whether when, when Lois got home from working at the department store, whether she'd find her husband dead or alive. You know, what a horrific place to be. And you'd think, if you had any kind of a brain left, that when he recognized what he was doing to himself, he would stop. Don't you think? When I recognized what I was doing with the food, don't you think I wanted to stop? Don't you think I wanted to stop? But I couldn't stop. You know, and that's where the insanity, the obsession of the mind, finally beat me into a place of reasonable Lord. The combination of the physical manifestation and the mental torture. The mental torture. And the, and the doctor... The kind doctor explained to him, yeah, certainly your behaviors are selfish and certainly you're acting foolishly, but you are ill both bodily and mentally. You know, what news was that to me? But what was I going to do about it? I'd been trying to do something about it for a long time. For a very long time. But I didn't know yet that I was powerless over all of that. Powerless over the physical as well as the mental anguish. You know, but thank God a solution would be presented. Someone in whom the problem had been solved would share with me that blessed message. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. It's very exciting to have a front row seat here to Bill's progression into the madness of alcoholism. Um, you know, as was stated in the paragraph before, you know, Bill can't live with alcohol and he can't live without it. <laughs> He's in a bad place. And he ends up in town's hospital for his first time. Uh, and under the so-called belladonna treatment, his brain is cleared. You know, he's separated from alcohol. And, uh, you know, mild exercise and the separation from alcohol is helpful. And it says, best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. So this is Bill's initial exposure to the idea of alcoholism as rooted in illness. It's not weakness and it's not badness and it's not a reflection on his moral character and it's not sinful. Uh, Dr. William Silkworth, who of course was a physician who worked with thousands and thousands of alcoholics, he comes on the scene in this early part of the 20th century and he had found that in working with alcoholics, that when an alcoholic took e even in a little bit of alcohol into his system, this switch went on inside an alcoholic's body, and the only thing that an alcoholic wanted to do was drink more and more alcohol. 
And, of course, he would continue to drink, and, of course, he would get drunk. And then they had this other part of them, uh, this obsession of the mind. Dr. William Silkworth knew this. Dr. William Silkworth conveyed this to Bill. And this is big information for Bill to know that because, you know, prior to this point, Bill, like all his loved ones, you know, thought it was uh, a lack of willpower, thought it was a moral, an issue with moral character, thought it was a sin. Um, but we're told here it's an illness. Now, now Bill has some knowledge. Is knowledge going to be enough? We're going to find out that knowledge isn't enough either. You know, I, I knew I was a compulsive overeater since I was a little kid. There was something not quite right. <laughs> Everybody else is busy uh, playing with friends and engaging in their hobbies and interests, and I couldn't help but think about what, uh, you know, I could stuff down my gullet. I didn't know what I was up against. I didn't understand the depths to which this disease would take me. I didn't know that. I didn't see the writing on the wall. But even after some understanding of my disease, even after some awareness in my late teens, that never stopped me from compulsive overeating. Even after I would go to meetings, even after I would speak to people, even after I would get some temporary respite, it was only that. It was only temporary because we're suffering from a disease which only a spiritual experience can conquer. So Bill has some wonderful, wonderful information here, vital. And he's separated from alcohol, which is absolutely necessary to even be alert enough and aware enough to receive some information. So we all have to get separated from our binge foods before we can even be available for embarking on this program. However, the knowledge that Bill has now ain't enough, and that's why there's not a spiritual part of this program of recovery. The entire program is spiritual because we're suffering from a disease which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And in the interest of time, we've got time for one more share on this particular paragraph. Is there anyone who'd like to share? Hi, it's Sheila. I would like to share. Sheila, go ahead. Hi. Um, thank you, Sheila, from New York Compulsive Overeater. Um, I tell you, between yesterday and today, it's like it's been the level of identification. Um, I keep, There's no words for it. Um, there's just no words for it. The identification and how far will you go? I'm one of those. I'm gonna get a book. I'm gonna get a pamphlet. I'm gonna read about it and I'm gonna fix it. My Al-Anon program was the same thing. I'm gonna get a book and I'm gonna fix all the active people around me. What a joke! I've been there 20 years. And this program here, it's like I'm at a, I'm at a wall with this. I mean, it's like the identification is scary. That that I can be honest with you about the level of identification is scary. How far will you go? How far will you go? What will you lose? I've seen what happens with the effects of this disease. I had no idea about the obsession of the mind until I started dialing into this meeting. I had no idea, and that's the scary part. Um, Because just putting it down is not going to be enough. 
you can put it down, but unless you do the work, unless you have the identification, unless you have a complete spiritual turnaround, you're going to keep picking up. And that's very, very scary for me today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sheila. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Paula, will you please read a vision for you? Gladly and happily. This would be a Paula recovered compulsive reader. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditations what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.